Uh, we just want to thank you, Lord God, when we consider what we do here. Uh, that in fact, that uh, it is not all leading up to the main event. The main event is worshiping you. So we just want to thank you, Lord God, uh, for coming and touching our, our souls and our spirits in this place today. But now as we turn to your word, uh, not only uh, do we worship you in song, in the clapping of our hands and in dancing, Lord God, before you, we also want to hear your voice. Uh, so we seek your face yet again. And Lord God, we already know that your word is anointed, period. Your word is already anointed. Father, I just pray for the faithful exposition of this word. And that hearts and minds, Lord God, would be receptive to what the kingdom of God would speak into our lives today. So as we prepare ourselves, Lord God, we live and breathe in expectation of yet one more more so, one more Sunday, Lord God, in which we can be encouraged, Lord God, in which we can be lifted up, Lord God, in which we can be strengthened by your voice. May your will be done today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. From 1937 until he retired in 1949, Joe Lewis was the world heavyweight boxing champion. In 1946, uh, he primed himself against the so-called uh, skill fighter uh, Billy Kahn. They told him, they said, look here, Mr. Brown Bomber, uh, you need to watch out for his great speed. Uh, you need to watch out for all of his tactics because he has a tendency to kind of dart in and, and dart back and dart in and dart back really, really quickly. So you got to be careful, Mr. Bomber. But in a famous display of confidence, Joe Lewis replied by saying this, and I quote, He can run, but he can't hide. You know, much of the ducking and weaving we engage in is nothing more than smoke and mirrors. It is smoke and mirrors because it has the appearance of a plan and an appearance of action, uh, but only it is a mere tactic to prevent us from getting hurt, that's all. We just want to make sure that we don't get hit uh, by a right hook. There are situations where we can duck. There are situations in life uh, that indeed we can hide. But the fact remains is much like driving a car. The more that you drive in a car, the more likelihood you are to be involved in an accident. The more you live this life, uh, the more likely uh, you're going to get a right hook or a left hook from somewhere. Some way and somehow something is going to knock you square in the jaw. And the only way for us to stand strong is unless a higher power intervenes. Brothers and sisters, what exactly are you trying to hide from? What are you weaving and ducking from, hoping that it does not lay its claw on you? fact remains that life can sometimes feel like you're a fighter in the ring. 
And all you want to do is, and I know you know what I mean, all you want to do is just make it until the bell rings. Ding! Okay, at least I can go sit down somewhere. You just feel as if you want to make it until you can go sit down on a stool somewhere and catch your breath. This is what it feels like. Lord, if I can only make it to the end of the month then. Oh, Lord, if I can only make it to the point that my children are out of diapers and they are walking and they're talking and everything else then. If I can only make it those 20 or 30 years on the job then. Or if you're a student, only if I can just make it till June, then. This thinking, you see, it goes on and on. We just want to make it to the end of the round. We want to hear that bell ring uh, so we can go to our corners and rest. But in our passage today, we will see that it's not always possible to wait until the round is over with because life happens in the presence. You can't wait for the bell to ring because uh, those punches are being thrown at you left and right. So what is a man to do? What should a woman do when you're getting smacked around in the ring? Genesis chapter 26 verse 1. Your faith will always be challenged by a serious threat. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, did you hear me? I said that your faith will always be challenged by some kind of serious threats. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So the writer says, I, I don't want you to get confused or think that I'm talking about the same famine that Abraham went through. This ain't it. Verse 2. Uh, going on. Uh, and, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Verse 2 now. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. You know, Isaac did exactly what most of us would have done. Uh, quite honestly, I would have done the same thing. Uh, but on the surface, we have to always ask ourselves these questions. When there's a natural disaster that happens in our life, uh, does that have anything to do with faith? What I mean is that there was at least what seemed to be this natural disaster, this famine occurring in this region, and people, they had to deal with it the best way they can. Is it just something that happened in nature, or is it something that has to do with our faith? We have to ask ourselves that question. This would not be unlike the tornadoes that hit any town in Illinois. This would not be unlike the earthquake uh, followed by the tsunami that hit Japan. But many of us, somehow we look at these uh, incidents and we just say, life happens, uh, end of story. 
Some go on to say, well, you know Mother Nature. Mother Nature does exactly what it does. So live your life and move on. But could God be speaking in that situation? Isaac's response simply was this. Let's roll. Let's get up and let's get out of here. But you see, running away is not always the best thing to do. Sometimes we say things like, uh, I just want to be anywhere other than what? Where I am. Anywhere. I want to be anywhere other than where I am. But I'm here to tell you, anywhere other than where you are, you could be getting out of the, uh, out of the frying pan and right into the fire. So don't say that. Not only that, running away, uh, that doesn't require faith. Running away does not require faith, and running away is easy. It's, it, it's like, uh, uh, I believe the Proverbs, it says, it's easy for a person to become angry. That's easy. That is a mindless activity. You can become angry at someone in an instant, because that's easy. What's difficult is to bring peace. So it is easy to run away when you have problems. Because that way we think that, you know, I'm going to leave all my stuff behind me. But you know how life goes. Sometimes our problems have a tendency to run away with us. Uh, you know, some people, they even work their jobs the same way. Uh, they're, they're, they're one job for a particular period of time, stuff happens, what do they do? They run, they go to the next job, and here they go again. Here is the drama again. And what do they do? They run, and then the next job, what happens? They want to run again. But the question that we must ask ourselves is simply this. I wonder if it's me. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of healing. Because every time I try to run, here those problems come following me again. No matter how much I throw holy oil or holy water or whatever you throw at your problems, right? Uh, regardless of how much I throw there, here they come right on my coattail. What's wrong with them people? What's wrong with me, Lord? But this is also very similar to uh, even what Abraham had gone through. Look at Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 10, right? And I'm going to start reading. You write these down because we don't have all day. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine, for the famine was severe in the land. Uh, you know what a famine is? It is an extreme scarcity of food. Ain't no food nowhere to be had. And what are our, our most basic needs? We need food, water, and shelter, right? Uh, anytime any one of those things is compromised in our life, uh, we know that there's a problem coming. Some people say, well, I don't need a shelter. I don't need a house. Yes, you do. You just don't know yet. You've just been living with your mom and daddy so long that you think that uh, everything's going to be okay. But trust me, you need food, water, and shelter. You don't have any one of those things, and you're in trouble. No water, no life. No shelter, no life. No food, no life. 
In the old days, you see, food distribution and preservation was very limited. Uh, they couldn't go and get a five-gallon jar, uh, 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 five jar mayonnaise off their shelf when they needed it. You know, it, it, it simply would not last. You know, uh, that's why they were baking bread every single day. That stuff would go bad. And that's why they lived for so long, because they always uh, ate fresh ingredients. So if there were no crops, also the animals would not survive either. You know, all of life would be up for grabs. Also, remember in the book of Ruth, remember Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 1, remember that? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a what in the land? And you remember what happened? There was a man of Bethlehem, Judah. Uh, he went to do what? Sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab. So he took his family. There was a famine again. And he went. And he ran away. So during the time of this famine, Isaac took his family to Gerar uh, with plans of traveling as far as Egypt. So it wasn't that he was trying, he was, we wanted to end up at Gerar, but he wanted to go to Egypt. In fact, God told him, look, don't you go down to Egypt. Don't go, I don't even want you to go there. That's what God says. And you remember uh, the place where Isaac ended up at Gerar, that was the place where Abraham himself lived for a period of time. You can see that in Genesis chapter 19. So in the midst of him wanting to run away, the Lord spoke to him. In fact, God didn't just speak to him, but God, it says, God appeared to him. The Lord revealed himself to Isaac at a time of crisis. Much like us. When we're going through, oftentimes we, we say that I just want God to show up. All I need is just the Lord to show up in my situation. But Isaac, even before God spoke, uh, he did not sit around on his hands hoping that God would just give him an answer, amen? Amen, because he says, look here, ain't nobody eating, and I need to go find where they're eating at, and ain't no food here, so we got to get up and go. So we want to use our common sense to get out of this a very difficult situation. You already know what a famine is. You've seen it in videos and, and newscasts about Africa for years and years and years. But even though Isaac wanted to go to, I believe, to Egypt, that was not God's plan, and that's clear. So what do you do? Here it is. Walk in faith when you are challenged. So that, that famine indeed challenged the faith of Isaac. So when you are challenged, you need to walk more strongly in faith. Uh, let's try it again. When you are challenged, uh, you need to walk more strongly in what? Let's try it one more time. When you are challenged in your life, you need to walk more strongly in? Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, 3. And the Lord appeared to him and said, again, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I will tell you. He says, sojourn or go and live in this land. Uh, God instructs Isaac not to run away uh, to Egypt for relief. With a famine in the land, uh, God commands him, don't go running, crying uncle. 
I wonder if uh, once we're going through some things, how many of us, when God speaks to us, do we pretend like we can't hear God all of a sudden? Can you imagine? Is that really God's voice? Here it is. Ain't nobody eating around us, right? And I'm trying to get away, and there is uh, the mega bus uh, going all the way down to Egypt. So there is a place I know it'll take all day to get there, but at least I'm on my way. But if I stay in, if I stay in this area, we might starve. So is that God really talking to me? Do you think it required Isaac to have faith? To stay where it ain't nothing? Of course, we all want to protect our family. It makes basic common sense. But our common sense may not be God's sense, amen? The Lord operates completely on a different plane than we do. What seems to be problematic for us is nothing for him because his plan for your life stretches all the way back before you were born. So if you think that God doesn't have your back, don't you know that God knew the day that you would be going through this? God knows the beginning from the end and everything else in between. He knew, uh, he knows how many hairs on your head. Uh, he knew the day that you would be born, the hour of the second, everything, the moment that you were even conceived. God knows all, all of this, and he knew that you would be sitting here today. Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So God was calling indeed Isaac to be faithful in a very difficult situation. Is God calling you to live out your faith today? Or are you still trying to run away? Where you are today is no harder for the Lord to deal with than what Isaac went through during that famine. The Lord then gave Isaac seven promises to encourage him to obedience. What were they? He says here, verses 3 through verse 4. He says, number one, and I will be with you. Number one, that's the one thing that we need more than anything else, simply to know that God is going to be with us. Remember what God said to Joshua? He told him, you ain't got a word to be, be, be afraid of anything. Why? Because I am going to be with you. So the first thing he tells Isaac here, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. So if God is going to be with you, if God has your back, if God is going to strengthen you, number one, is there any reason to fear? And I'm telling you, there is no reason to fear. And, and I'm also telling you this, amen, that you need to get this word in you. You need to get this word in you. Uh, don't come in here playing church. Because the moment that famine hits your life, you're going to wonder, now what was Pastor Spencer talking about? You better not wait. You better get it right now. So number one, God says, I will be with you. Number two, he says, I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I, here it is, number three, I will give all these lands. For I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4, uh, I will uh, multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give you uh, to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
One can't help but to clearly see Jesus Christ in these verses. Do you see Jesus? Ah, no, you don't. Here we go. Uh, take a look with me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Write them down. I'm going on. He says here, and behold, to his disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You hear that? You're a disciple of Christ. He says, number one, that I am with you. How long? Until you get out of church and there ain't nobody saying hallelujah. And you're no longer taking communion or uh, uh, until you just read your Bible. Uh, Jesus says, I am with you. How long? How long? How long would Jesus be with you? Always to the end of the age until you can't age no more. But even if you can't age anymore, even after that point, Jesus is going to be with you. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. What about our land? Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we do have a land. Amen. And then back to Matthew 28, verse 19. What about all nations? Go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. You, you see, because of the obedience of Abraham, uh, because of the obedience of Isaac, the entire world can be changed through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is a direct descendant of those individuals. Of course, Jesus is also God at the same time, but he descended from that line. Isaac, therefore, he had to decide whether or not to trust the Lord in the midst of very challenging surroundings. Sometimes we just don't get it. Even after we have clearly heard the word of the Lord, we're still trying to decide what we need to do. God says, go left, and we say, I wonder what I should do. God says, go ahead, you keep on the path that you're going. You're like, what should I do? God says, stop, don't you go that way. You're like, uh, what should I do? We always have a rebuttal for God. God is trying to encourage us, but every time we turn around, he gives us a word and we doubt his word. You see, there's only one way to please God, and you please God by having faith in him. Uh, yeah, none of that fickle stuff. Uh, you can crunch all the numbers and you can do all the stats that you can possibly do, but at the end of the day, God, he stands. How many of us have gone through or are going through some very tough times today? It is true that our situations may all be different, uh, but a difficult time is a difficult time. Uh, problems at home may be mind-numbing for one person, but problems on the job is totally unbearable for the next. I wonder if Isaac would have decided differently had he not seen the Lord. It seems the greater the challenge, the greater the revelation God gives. The greater revelation God gives, the greater the faith that's required. And the greater the faith that's required, the greater the challenges. Did you see that? Here it is again. The greater the challenge, the greater the revelation. The greater the revelation, the greater the faith you need. The greater the faith you need, uh, the greater your challenges are. And hence we complete this cycle. 
But God wants us in this place. Where is that place? It is a place of total dependency upon Him. So that means, yes, every time that you come to church and you hear these words and you are strong, knowing that one day something is going to challenge that faith of yours. And again, if it doesn't, then you just let me know what you're operating with because I want to operate with that too. Unless you're operating with the devil stuff. And in that case, I don't want nothing to do with you. So at what point do we trust the Lord? And at what point do we throw in the towel and say that's enough? At what point do you trust the Lord? And at what point do you throw in the towel and say, God, I have had it. I'm going to do what I want to do. What exactly would Isaac have missed by traveling to Egypt anyway? Very simple. He would have missed the blessings of the Lord. Uh, can, can no one uh, give you the blessings and the favor of God? So when you follow him, God grants you favor. Again, not always in the way that you anticipate, but all you need is God's blessing, right? Because when he blesses you, you know that he's with you. You know that he's with you. So again, as we saw with Isaac, he had no rebuttal. It just went on that uh, Isaac went ahead and he settled in Gerar. So after God blesses you, after you're living high and mighty on a hog, after you have made it through the famine, after you say, you know, God was really right, we know at that particular point that all the mess is stops, right? All the mess stops after God blesses us. Well, challenges to your faith don't stop because God blessed you once. Challenges to your faith do not stop because God blessed you once. Verse 7, Genesis 26. When the men of the place asked him, this is asked Isaac, about his wife, he said, here we go again, just like father, like son. Uh, 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 look here, uh, uh, this here my sister. For he feared to say my wife thinking uh, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca because she was so fine. So again he said my wife is so fine I better just go ahead and say that she's my sister. But what exactly was he risking? What was he risking by lying? You know that was a lie right? Some people say, well, everybody in the Bible, they were good. They didn't have no problems. Well, here it is. God had already spoke his word to this man. God has sustained him through a famine. And now, when they had a question about his wife, the thing that he said was, uh, this here is my sister. That means that he risked another man going in to his wife. Did you know that? So Isaac and Nessus was saying, Look here, sister. Right, you're talking about his wife. Look here, sister. Uh, uh, you go ahead and, you know, just go ahead and be my sister for a moment because after all, you know, they're going to kill me. In other words, I don't care what they're going to do to you, but as for me, uh, uh, we all need to have concern because remember, uh, remember here, Rebecca, I got you out the famine. So there is another threat to God's promise. This time, the threat didn't come directly at him in a way that he could necessarily control. 
But this time the threat was towards his wife. Now, right, here it is. You see, had that threat come towards Rebekah, the entire Abrahamic line would have been broken. So I consider this to be a, a, a volley from the adversary. You hear what I'm saying? Because if another man had come into her first, the entire Abrahamic line would have been broken because it was supposed to come through Isaac and Rebekah, period, no one else. But we would think that God who was able to save them from the famine, that he would be able to protect him from the threat of strangers. I mean, who are they? they ain't nothing but people. You know, sometimes we do silly things in the guise of helping the Lord. If it's not one thing, it's another. So I'm telling you here today, my brothers and sisters, that you need to decide, I need to decide, we all need to decide today, how will we respond to the threat of our faith? How are you going to respond? Uh, one of the common things that threaten our faith is money. And not, not necessarily the abundance of, uh, but the underabundance of. Uh, sometimes that puts us in the place of a very strange uh, mishmash of uh, faith kind of stuffish. And sometimes when you have the overabundance of money, that also becomes an issue as well. Uh, but I'm just what I want to tell you here today that indeed that uh, these challenges that they exist and they're going to try to get you to lie about stuff. Your challenges are going to try to get you to lie. Your challenges are going to try to get you to make excuses for doing everything other than what God wants you to do. They're going to talk about your peer pressure. They're going to talk about your family. You know, if you act that way, they're going to think this about it. Well, who cares? Well, be yourself, but be a, a Jesus-loving self. You see, it's going to come after you. It doesn't make a difference. Oh, well, you're not all this. I thought you were going to be cool, because if you're going to be cool, then in, in that case, you'd be like we are. I just call that devil a liar, and you move on with Jesus. But again, for Isaac... God helped him out of this mess as well. Amen. Genesis 26, verse 8. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. As I was looking at the Hebrew, what they were saying, it wasn't necessarily laughing per se. It's kind of like uh, guys and, and, and wives, you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 you know when you're, you're sometimes when you're kind of with your wife or you're with your husband and you guys kind of push up on each other, right? You're like, hey, it's not just laughing, it's like, yo, what's up? And all this other stuff. And so the king, he looked out at, at Isaac and Isaac said to his wife, to, saying to his sister, what's up? And the king was saying, man, I'm looking at the way that you're looking at your sister and, and either, either you ain't right or, 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 or something wrong with this picture. Verse 9. So Abimelech called to Isaac and said, Behold, and oops, there it is. She is your wife. Because I ain't seen no man push up on his sister like that in my life. And he says, How then could you say she is my sister? Oh, liar. Isn't that something that it took an unbeliever to tell a believer that you ain't nothing but a big fat liar. 
Don't wait for the devil's children to call you a liar. Live right. Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. <laughs> Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? I know the scripture said don't add to the, to the word of God, but if I had to add one more word, I would add the word fool. So I'm not adding, I just want you to know. One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people. Now, here's the king. He's going out to everybody in this land, and he says this. Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. That ain't nothing but God. There's nothing but God intervening on their behalf because, you see, God was protecting the covenant. God had made a covenant between uh, himself and Abraham, between himself and Isaac, between himself and Jacob, between himself and Israel, and between himself and us. And God will protect you. He will not allow anything to break that covenant that he has with you. For what can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing absolutely. God's hand was definitely at work. So we are to live in the joy of God's blessing. Live in the joy of God's blessings. I'll say it again. Live in the joy of God's blessings. Verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So God blessed him so much so that everybody else was looking at him, uh, looking at this, lying about his wife. Uh, you know, what a knucklehead. Uh, and here it is. He's lying about his wife, but yet God protects him and favors him anyway. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that if you confess your sins before the Lord, that he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all your righteousness, and people will look at you and still call you blessed. But do not take God's grace for granted. Because as surely as he can uh, bring his hand out to you, I'm not saying that has anything to do with your salvation, as surely as he can favor your life, surely he can remove that favor as well. It's not a tit for a tat. I'm just saying. So obedience brings blessings. In this very land, possibly while the famine uh, was, or was going on or recovering from it, God began to bless Isaac. Remember that the famine was raging. And somehow that God was now blessing them. In the midst of a famine, when everybody else is having a rough time, and now God is blessing them. God wants to bless you the same way, brothers and sisters. Uh, no, I'm not saying, because I don't believe that the God, oh, oh God, I'm going to go and I'm going to have uh, uh, $10,000 in my savings account as soon as I get out of church today. If you claim that, I don't know who gave you that promise, but all I'm saying is, that's not what that verse is saying. Okay, period. I, that's all I'm saying. That's not what that verse is saying. And anybody that says differently, then, you know, they might be, uh, had a spirit of Isaac going on about his wife, you know. Uh, th that's all that I'm saying. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, what I am saying that God, he promises to bless you. 
That is true. God promises to bless you. Scripture said that he sold in that same land and reaped a hundredfold return on his seed. He became rich, gained more, became very, very wealthy. But the question is, uh, did, God, did Isaac deserve God's favor? Did he deserve God's favor? The answer is no. What did he do to deserve it? Nothing. It was all initiated by God. God blesses Isaac and, and the entire Abrahamic line because of his own sovereign plan which ultimately culminates in the life of Jesus Christ. And again, I've said it once. It's about the third week I've been saying it, and I'm going to say it again, because I think it's right. Challenge the negative circumstances with God's word. You need to get God's word down in your spirit. If God's word is true, if his word is strong, then challenge the status quo of fear and intimidation and walk in the liberty that Jesus Christ has given you. When all that mess starts to creep in your mind, oh, just start quoting some scripture. If you can't remember none, then you pick up, you find a verse in your Bible, and you quote it over and over again. Amen? Spend your time focusing on God. You, you challenge that devil when he comes to your life and says this, that, and the other. You know the dreams that you had about X, Y, and Z. And you know that, oh, I know I had a dream about this, and I know this is going to be happening, and you know that it doesn't feel right to you. You challenge that dream with God's word. Do not allow that thing to take root in your system. And even if it has, you go ahead and you get that weed puller upper or whatever that thing is called, and you snap that weed, that head off of that weed, and you start to dig deep, and you get all those roots out of you. Don't allow it. You challenge it with God's word. Now, I'm not saying to repeatedly, you know, repeat uh, scripture like some kind of magic formula. I'm not saying that. When those circumstances begin to feel so huge before you, then you might feel frightened. And I'm telling you this from experience. And the one thing that I've known to do is to go to God's word. And when I recite God's word, it just it makes me strong on the inside. It's not I'm throwing these magic formulas out here. I'm reciting these things thinking I'm sprinkling a fairy dust on my situation. No. God's word is already true. All we have to do is believe it. And sometimes we get off track in our life and things get all off tilter and we no longer believe it. Are we forgotten about it, one or the other? Repeating God's word replaces the sure confidence in our souls. It digs a deep trench and it makes a home in our spirit. So brother and sister, here it is, right? Here's the big ask. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Will you run away again or will you stand strong? Will you run away again or will you stand strong on God's word? By the way, I'm sure as you know, Joe Lewis, he won that bout with Billy Kahn. Joe Lewis, he knocked him out. God's word will knock out that situation in your heart. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let us pray, please.